Thanks, Dave. One of our elders. Appreciate it very much. Well, a uh, couple of announcements just to remind you of things, especially if you didn't get a chance to uh, hear last week. We have um, things going on in our children's ministry. For those of you that have parents, I think a lot of you logged in. Julie did a video. We have a second one uh, today as well. So be, uh, make sure you get your kids in front of the TV and let them see what Miss Julie's done. For those of you that are teenagers, want to connect with Stefan, either gaming or coffee, virtual coffee, contact him. Uh, by the way, very much enjoying the virtual coffees. So uh, again, if you would like to have one with any of us, log in, I mean, on the website, go put your name in and we'll contact you. We have um, those of you that may need help and assistance during this time. I really would like to encourage you to, to contact us. We'd love to help. In the email I sent out this week, there's a lot of scamming going on. Not surprising. Uh, don't be taken in by it. Unless you trust the person who's contacted your email, do you call and let us help you do that, okay? Um, For those of you that are continuing to give online, thanks for doing that. We're very appreciative. You're very generous with our church, and we're grateful for that. And then uh, finally, just a word about prayer. We want you to know that there are a bunch of us that are praying for you uh, regularly, actually. And um, some have suggested, and so this should be coming up, may even be up today, I'm not sure. We're going to have on the website a page dedicated to the prayer requests so uh, you can continue to see what's going on with our congregation and how to pray. So uh, take advantage of that. Look on it and see. See what's going on. Okay. Today we're going to talk about the Great War, Revelation 12. Now you may be wondering, that was kind of an interesting music set, wasn't it? Um, Thanks, Rob, by the way, and all the musicians. Um, Pretty upbeat music, a different kind of style. And that really captures where we want to head with this whole idea of the great war that we're involved in. That is that we should approach it courageously, boldly, uh, with confidence because of what Christ has done. Yes, we are in a war, but that's what it means. We are in the fifth Sunday of Lent. So how are you doing on Lent? Normally I could ask the question with all of you sitting here. Are you uh, able to focus on Lent during all of the COVID-19 quarantine issues that come with it? Are you able to take time in prayer, maybe focus each day, perhaps read our devotions that are coming? And um, it's an important time. Remember, Lent is here to prepare us for Easter. And so it's a time when we, we set aside several weeks to just concentrate on Jesus, what he has done, and to be thankful, to show gratitude for that. So this Lenten season, as Rob says, we're focusing on the prayers of the redeemed in Revelation. Let me just give you a summary of where we've come. Because as we've looked at the prayers of the redeemed, it tells the storyline of the book of Revelation. And I know Revelation is, uh, for many of you, is very confusing. Sure enough, if you read it all the way through with all the imageries and everything, it is very difficult to grasp it. We started in Revelation 4, the throne room. There I argue that, that rather than think of heaven as someplace way up there and earth is here. Think of them as realms where we live on the earth and God lives in heaven. But in, in many of the New Testament authors' minds, those have now overlapped. They haven't quite come together yet. Paul, for instance, says in Ephesians 2 that we are seated at the right hand of Christ. How can we be seated at the right hand of Christ when I'm sitting here right now? I can touch the piano. I mean, I can, you know, could do all that and yet somehow I'm seated at the right hand of Christ. 
So John in Revelation 4, the door opens for him to look on the other side of the reality where we live. And he can see what's going on. So when he's in the throne room, he is able to sit there and watch God with all of the the elders and the creatures and the angels. And and he can begin to see, God helps him to see reality on the earth as God sees it not as we see it. And that image is playing all throughout Revelation, I think. When we got to Revelation 5, we saw that there was a scroll that no one could open. And so John wept and wept. I mean, it makes sense because who's qualified to open the scroll? Because God promised all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden that it would be a human. And then he promised Abraham that it would be one of his descendants, so he'd be Jewish. And we know that the human race has failed And we know that Israel has failed in fulfilling God's plan for the world. And so who's left? Who's left? And so the Messiah appears. And he's described in two ways. As a lion of Judah. That's what John hears. And then he sees a slain lamb. Those are the two ministries of Jesus that come together right there. And so he's given this scroll. And it has seven seals on it. And inside the scroll, I proposed a few weeks ago that that's the plan of God as far as what's going to happen. So he has to open all the seals. So when we looked next at Revelation 7, we looked briefly at the seals before we got to the seventh seal. And the seals are a description of what life is like on the world through God's eyes. The evil, the corruption, the greed, the horror, the horror that's going on around us. Um, because evil is terrible. Let's just face it, it's terrible. And so the seals, you can't tell what's inside of it until he opens each of the seals. And remember the seals, uh, there are two different types of seals. One is on a scroll, whoever wrote it would dip his, uh, his signature into the wax and seal it on the scroll. He did seven times that's done. That way you make sure nobody's reading your mail. So if the seal's not broken, you know that you're the first one to read your mail. And so right in the middle between the sixth seals and the seventh seal, there's another seal where we are sealed, marked as God's people. That's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 1, that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so from then on in the rest of the story, those who have been sealed all the way through what goes on next are protected by the Lord. They're marked out, if you will. They're protected. So then we moved last week into Revelation 11, where we looked at basically the plan, the trumpets of God. And we looked at the, the seventh trumpet in particular, and where he says, and that's the end of chapter 11, that's where we left off, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he'll reign forever and ever. The image all the way through all these songs of the redeemed is that the, it has been done. It's finished that he has won. And so he says, the kingdom of the world has become. And then he says in verse, uh, when they're singing, continuing on verse 16, we give thanks to you, Lord, God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And so each one of these songs is presenting reality as if it's already accomplished. I think it is. That's what John saw when he stepped into the throne room. Okay, so this week we're going to look at the great war in Revelation 12 between the woman and the dragon. After the plan is revealed of how God has dealt with sin and redemption and subdued the kingdom of this world, we just read that, all of a sudden two signs appear to John. 
And that's what Revelation 12 is all about. These two signs appear. Okay, so think of it this way. You got, um, maybe I'll use the metaphor of a stage. You're seeing a play, and thus far, everything in the storyline is about God, how great God is. He, we have said every week, there is one who stands behind everything that we see and experience. There's one who stands behind it all, God. Or, as we're told elsewhere, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But all of a sudden now, the curtains part, and there's somebody else. A monster. Somebody else appears. A monster. The same story, starting in Revelation 12, I think, is being told again. But now we're seeing the other side of the reality of the role that Satan plays in this whole uh, historical redemptive drama that is happening right before our eyes. So these two stories, so the same story is being told again. It tells the story of Revelation 1 through 11, but explains the reality in greater detail, and it reveals that just as there is one who is greater that stands behind all of reality, there's also one who is the deeper source of evil. They are both now on the stage. So once again, it's how it works in a vision in an apocalypse, um, in he introduces this idea about Satan. The way he does it is just as mysterious as the previous sections. But we're given a clue in Revelation twelve five. Here's what it says. She gave birth to a son. So I'm jumping into the middle of the story. Don't worry, I'm going to come back and read you the whole story. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who, quote, will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Now, this is a quote from Psalm 2, uh, specifically verse 9, as it appears in the Greek version of the Old Testament. It's alluded to in, in the version that we have in the NIV. So uh, last week, we finished chapter 11 as they sang with an allusion to Psalm 2. The nations were angry, verse 18 of chapter 11. Your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead. And this is language that comes out of Psalm 2. Well, now it becomes explicit right here in verse 5. So now we know that Jesus is the one who is envisioned in Psalm chapter 2. And so the raises the question, who is it that's trying to destroy Jesus? Well, if you were raised in the Christian faith, you know the answer to that. Who's trying to destroy Jesus? Satan. So as this story begins to unfold, we're going to see the Old Testament story woven throughout this story. I'm not going to highlight everything. It's a very rich story, but there's a couple of key places where the Old Testament surfaces in very significant ways. So the new section begins with two signs. Okay, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. <clears throat> Excuse me. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Okay, now think about where we've come in Revelation, because this helps us understand this section. We've already been told that standing before the throne are, first of all, the faithful. From every tribe, language, people, nation. We saw that in Revelation 5. We saw it in Revelation 7. But further, we're told that these faithful are the kingdom and priests who serve the living God. That's in Revelation 5. So we have the faithful from every tribe, language, people, and nation, and they are kingdom 
uh, they are a kingdom of priests who serve the living God. But we're also told in this story that the woman is about to give birth to a child and she cries out in pain. Now, um, the whole concept of the imagery here, the, the, uh, she has the sun and the moon and the stars, that's woven throughout the Old Testament as well. I mean, in fact, you go all the way back to the story of Joseph and his dream, and it's cast in la- this kind of language. We see it again in Isaiah. So who are we talking about here? Well, Jesus gives us a clue in John chapter 16. So I'm going to turn back to John 16. He's talking to the disciples about the coming Holy Spirit once he's gone. And here's what he says in verses 20 to 23. Um, Very truly I tell you, so I'm in John chapter 16, you will weep and mourn while while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. He goes on, a woman will give birth to a child and has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of the joy that a child is born into the world. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So that's John chapter 16. So we can now understand the imagery of the woman. You see, the woman here, uh, it is the priestly kingdom. It's the, it's the crowd from every nation and tribe of the faithful. It is those who stand as a kingdom of priests who serve the Lord. Uh, it is those who are grieving right now because of the time that we live in. That's who it is. This is a priestly kingdom. This is the holy nation described in Exodus 19. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. And now we know the child is Christ. So she was a pregnant, she's pregnant, back to Revelation 12, verse 2, cried out in pain because she's about to give birth. But then wait, something else happens. Another sign, verse 3, appeared in heaven. Now you see these are signs. In other words, these are metaphors, these are images to help us understand reality. The first one is, the, the church, the faithful, I shouldn't say the church, it's all the faithful, including Israel, uh, has given birth to a child. That's Jesus. And now another one appears, another sign. Appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on its heads. We're going to have to wait till a little bit later chapter and understand what that means. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky, flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Wow. So we have this woman giving birth. We understand that imagery. And now we have this great red dragon appearing who's trying to destroy this child. Who's trying to destroy Christ? Satan. As we'll see from verse 9 in just a minute, the red dragon is none other other than Satan himself. The principal actors are now all identified. Now remember, up until now, uh, we've seen the one behind that's accomplishing all this great work. Now starting in chapter 12, from here on out for the rest of the book, he's going to describe this incredible battle of which we are part of. So now we have all the actors are now identified. Christ is a child. The woman is a faith community, and the dragon is Satan. The woman and the child are carrying out the purposes of God for the world. 
What did Jesus say? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is Satan doing or the dragon? He is doing his very best to stop this mission of God, this, these purposes, if you will, from being carried out. So the child now is shown to be the fulfillment of Psalm 2. Let's go on and read verse 5 and 6. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will, quote, rule all the nations with an iron scepter. That's a quote out of Psalm chapter 2. Her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Okay, Satan tried to stop him at his birth. And then again at his death. And it didn't happen. You see, this language of being snatched up, I think, is referring to the resurrection. So the woman produces this Messiah, this Christ. That's the faithful. And then at the resurrection, he's snatched up to God. And thus, as all the revelation up to this point has said, he has fulfilled God's plan. This is the Easter that we are celebrating. It is finished. Now, the imagery of going into the wilderness calls to mind the exodus of Egypt, where the people of Israel escape the tyranny of Pharaoh and are cared for by God. We're going to come back to that in just a moment, because they do. The book does. The time limit, 1,260 days, I'm not going to discuss that other than to say that what is revealed is that Satan is very limited in what he can do. He is not autonomous. He can only persecute within divinely prescribed time periods. So the major players are all now on the stage at the story in Revelation. So now we understand everything. Who's there? They're all there. For the rest of Revelation, the woman and the dragon will be with us and the, chi- uh, the people, the woman are the, is the faithful of God. The dragon is Satan. They're going to be with us. And Christ, the Messiah, the child, all three are going to be present from here on out. Now, starting in verse 7, we have the great war. Let's read verse 7, 8, and 9. When the war, then the war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, there he's identified, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So now we have this great war. What do we know right off the bat? Satan has already lost. That's what we know. We now learn that the dragon is Satan. We now see again what we've been hearing about all through Revelation up to this point. The war is over and Satan has already lost. No wonder the redeemed are singing continuously. We should be too. We should be too. But wait a minute. There's more. That's not the end of the story. Look at what happens. This is when uh, perhaps a loud voice, it says in verse 10, the songs of the redeemed. Anyway, here's what they say. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night, this is Satan, he's the accuser, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. 
They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They weren't afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. So wait a minute. Now we have a little conflict going on here. Who's the great war between? Well, at the beginning of this verse, it's between Michael and his angels, and Satan and his angels. But all of a sudden, we learn that it's a little more complex than that. Okay, once again, we see that God has already triumphed. Now have come the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of the Messiah. For the accuser, who accuses us day and night, has been hurled down. So we, we see what we've heard all along, and that is that God has already triumphed. This is a consistent message. But now we learn something very new in verse 11. They triumphed over him. Who is the they? He just said that Michael is at war with Satan. But then it says they triumphed over him. Well, in verse, in this whole section, the they are the brothers and sisters who are being accused. All of a sudden, we enter into the picture. We triumph over Satan as well. You see, we're part of this war. Okay, once again, what we have here is the heavenly realm is intertwined with the earthly realm. So maybe it's okay to look at it this way. In the heavenly realm, we see Michael and the archangels going after Satan. But then when we look into our realm, we see the the faithful community of God doing the same thing. Jesus' prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We learn that we are a great, a part of this great war. We triumph over Satan as well. Behind all these accusations are not humans. Behind all of this is Satan. Now, we've already looked in Paul several times in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, we're seated at the right hand of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, we've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And now at the end of Ephesians, when Paul's talking about the spiritual battle, verse 10, Ephesians 6, Finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil, against his schemes. Here's the important verse. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that's what's going on here. Satan is behind all of it. There's no human that is our enemy. That's why Jesus says, do good to those who hate you. None. Just as behind all of this stands one who is greater, behind all the evil and corruption stands one who is terrible, Satan. That's who the enemy really is. But then he goes on and gives us one more piece of information about Satan in Revelation chapter 12, verse 13 and on. When the dragon, verse 13, saw that he had been hurled to the earth. Now remember, he just, we we're just told he's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When he has been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Okay. He's after us, not the Messiah. He's after the woman who gave birth. He already gave his best shot with Christ, even got him crucified, and it didn't work. 
He's after us. He's after the woman. That's the community of faith. But he goes on, verse 14, John does, or the vision. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken of, taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. So the woman is being cared for on, uh, as she flees into the wilderness. Now listen to this language out of Exodus 19. They're standing at the base of Mount Sinai and they're just about to receive the Ten Commandments. But here's what God says. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. <clears throat> How I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now we've already been told earlier in Revelation that the faithful are kingdom of priests before the Lord. Here's the fulfillment of that. But he carried them into the wilderness out of the reach of Pharaoh, and he does it on eagles, eagles' wings. This is clearly the story of the Exodus. What the Exodus represents is the true Exodus of us as we have been freed from the tyranny of sin. That's Romans 6. We've been freed from the master called sin. And so the true Exodus has occurred. Hear the language again. The woman, those are the, that's the faithful community, was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of, taken care of by God. Just as Israel was able to fly away from Pharaoh, we are able to fly away from Satan's attacks. Once again, you have the language, Satan can only persecute within divinely appointed time periods. You see, we are being rescued and protected by God. That's why we can sing the songs that we sang in the middle of the Great War. We have the ones who have triumphed along with Michael. You have both the earth and the heaven coming together. We have triumphed and we can celebrate because we're being protected by God. But it's not over yet. You see, Satan's fury, it is vicious. Verse 15. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So the serpent, that goes back to the garden, and you have the dragon. And they both are references, they're images that are referring to Satan. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. That's us. That's us. We now understand. Now that Satan has appeared on the stage in this great grand story, what we now understand is that he is very angry and he's going after us, not Christ. He tried that one, it didn't work. So now he's going after us. We shouldn't be surprised, but whether we, ex we should expect it, wow. No wonder life is challenging. I mean, think about what we're going through right now. No wonder life is challenging. How do we keep going? One more verse. John himself, in 1 John chapter 5, 
Here's what he says. Verse 4. Anyone born of God overcomes the world. You see, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That's the victory that has overcome the world. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He reminds us that it is our faith that keeps us going. It's our belief in the truth. And that's why, especially during this time, this is a a Lent like none of us have ever experienced before. That's why we're sending you devotions to try to help keep you connected to us as a church. This is the time when you should spend time in prayer and thinking about who the Lord is. Talk to your children about it, about what he has accomplished. This is incredible. So what does all this mean? A couple of thoughts. Some closing thoughts. There is one who stands behind all that is happening. Uh, We know that to be God. But now we also learn that there is one who stands behind all the evil that we experience. Our struggle really is not against flesh and blood. No one here on the earth is our enemy. Now that Satan has been exposed as the one behind all the evil, the rest of Revelation is going to reveal many details about this ongoing attack by Satan. Even though he's already lost the war, he's not giving up. He's quite angry. He's furious. But we also learn that we're not spectators. We are participants in this great war, which is soon to be over. Why? Why are we participants? Why would God take us through this? I think it's the ultimate plan in his mission to reach the world. You see, the one language that we share with the world is struggle. That's the one language we share. They get that. But what they don't get is the way we respond in grace, the way we respond with joy, the way we respond with confidence and boldness. Because that is how God is revealing his kingdom to all of our friends and neighbors, the people that we live with day in and day out, who right now we can't see very much. We can't see. I walked into the grocery store this morning to pick up some things, and the only Starbucks in this part of the world that's open is the one inside King Suvers. And the lady just smiled when I looked at her with surprise and walked over six feet away, chatted with her, and uh, got a cup of coffee from her. Don't think she's a believer. But she was so happy to see me because she knows me. You see, during all of this struggle, this great, incredible war that's going on, we shine. We shine like the stars in the heaven. That's why we go through it. Oh, it'd be easy just to take us to heaven. No, that's not what God's after. We as a church, we are here to fulfill the mission of God. We're not spectators. We are participants. So all of history can now be viewed in terms of this cosmic war between God and Satan. And i got to be honest with you, as a, as a theologian, that's how I think. Everything I look, I'm constantly interpreting in light of the cosmic war. Uh, the war has already been won. Don't be fooled. See, this is what Easter is all about. As we get closer and closer, it is finished. It's finished. Father, thank you. Thank you that it is finished. And Lord, thank you that we can really begin to understand our role in all of this and why we exist. We're not participants. We're not victims. We're not any of that. We're actually, uh, I mean, we're not looking at it from the outside. We're actually participants. We are engaged in the war. 
for the sake of your glory and for the sake of our friends and neighbors who don't know you. Thank you, Lord, for using us that way. We're so grateful. In your son's name, amen. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. We do not anticipate that we'll be together. I would be very surprised if the Department of Health lifted the quarantine. Um, But we will celebrate Palm Sunday through live streaming. And uh, I think you'll enjoy when we come back for Palm Sunday how we tie this into what happened when Jesus came into Jerusalem. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy the peace of Christ. Go in peace.